Clay to bring this podcast to the next level. I went out and I decided mm. that I'm going to thematically match each episode we do. So I got sick for this one. I got deathly ill. <laughs> I'm and I'm doing it now. I'm trying not to laugh. I will. I will cough and wheeze and not be able to. Uh, every point you make will sound like I'm just I'm caught off guard. That I, I'm so blown away by what you're saying that I can't catch up. I was reading a story to my kids tonight, and I was like. I can't make it through this kid's book. <laughs> got to take it easy. Got to get some tea. Got to take it easy. But I'm sick anyway. I sound terrible. I'm, I might start coughing. This is all a long way of warning people, as you have to do annoyingly on podcasts, that uh, I might cough a lot and sneeze. So you're going to have to do some heavy lifting here, potentially. Are you ready for it? Mm. Yeah, I actually, we were going to start the thematic thing uh, with the last series, but uh, because of the supply chain issues, they were back ordered on Vulcan pointy things. Yeah. And they only sold them in packages of like 15. So they didn't come in time for the show. And now I've got 15 Vulcan pointy things in my living room. I don't know what to do with. So hopefully the next episode of Enterprise is how uh, meat prices are up like 18% because I think that that would be <laughs> just very timely. At that, that, that would probably change my opinion on the whole series if we had three episodes in a row that were like amazingly matched to my life i would say it's the universe trying to tell me something i don't know if it's a god or if it's the uh, shangri-la or whatever the next episode is all about buying 12 gallons of milk twice a week yeah although that itself i think that's already an old reference so by the time um, this comes out that's going to be ancient i i there's a few moments in my life that i've never been prouder of um when i was on social media i took a picture of our like supply cabinet for some reason it was on twitter and then someone was like why do you have so many rolls of toilet paper who the hell needs that much toilet paper then covid came and fuck yourselves everybody i have yeah. that much toilet paper that's where yeah. it is and that's where i stand yeah we had a similar situation in our house where because i just didn't bother to look <clears throat> before i went shopping we ended up with like five or six cans of uh um lysol wipes yes which at the time seemed like a lot but then it's like Bitcoin. What happened? You could sell those for five thousand yes, dollars yeah. each. Yeah. Dude, I remember early. This is so stupid. Early, early in the pandemic, like when when that's when the tensions and, and stress was still really high with regarding that stuff. I remember walking the dog by a house and being able to see into their window and see that they had like 12 canisters of Lysol wipes <laughs> like up above their, you know, uh, uh, their entryway or something. And I was looking at them like. I was prepared to throw a rock into their house and go and go take their booty. It's all changed since then. <coughs> Excuse me. Here we go. We'll get this. We have we have a time crunch here anyway, so we'll get through this one quickly. It's called Observer Effect. It's the eleventh episode of the fourth season. Came out on January twenty first, two thousand five. Written by the Steve's Steve the Reeve Stevens people, the Judith <laughs> Reeve Stevens and Garfield Reeve Stevens. Directed by Mike Vehar. In universe date unknown. 2154. <coughs> this is going to be a rough one, Clay. A pair of non-physical Organians <laughs> study the response of the Enterprise crew to the infection of Hoshi, Sato, and Tucker by a fatal silicon-based virus brought on board during an away mission. So, they get sick. Some Organians show up. We have an interesting cold open. Where do you want to start mm. with this one? Uh, I thought, you know, it was interesting that this week on Enterprise, the uh, the ship gets COVID, and Malcolm and Reed, sorry, Mayweather and Reed, uh, play the part of Twitter. Yeah, which was fun. Um, but yeah, I I thought I thought it was one of the better cold opens of the whole series, actually, because it actually 
caught me off guard a bit and not just because Mayweather had lines, but because right. they yeah. were, <laughs> there was clearly something different going on. Um, and it actually developed some intrigue as to what the story was here, uh, which is generally not what the enterprise cold opens do. They are usually just about someone finding that there's no more cream uh, in the coffee section of uh, of the mess hall. Yeah, and chef, then getting chef called to up. the bridge. A lot of cold yeah. opens about chefs' uh, in, in, inadequacies as a chef. Did but, I, uh, but yeah, I, oh yeah, go ahead. I I agree about the uh, the cold opens. Interesting. It's it's nicely paced how they reveal that it's not quite right what you're seeing there. Like it's not yeah, just outright yeah. that they get to it, but. Um, I think the big success of this one is it's it's interesting how just a slight shift in framing something makes it seem completely novel. I'm not sure I've ever mm. seen a Star Trek episode that does this, what they do here, which is that some crew members are um, just hijacked and in in a way not 100% part of the plot like they are part of the plot but they are not interacting in a way that causes like the other crew members to recognize who they are they're more as the title says just observing what's going on mm-hmm. um i thought that was for how late an enterprise is coming i thought that that was kind of like a revolutionary thing for how many episodes of star trek there's been at this point i was i was yeah. i was just surprised by how a slight shift in something can really make what it can be otherwise seen as um semi-generic material seem completely novel to you as a viewer and so i thought that this episode succeeded in that way anyway yeah because i mean ultimately what the episode is is a first contact episode right or a prime even a prime directive episode yeah without explicitly bringing up the concept of the prime directive they're kind of testing that and, and pushing on it a bit um and yeah the 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 focus of it was much different than they usually do that kind of stuff with and it, and it was more um yeah it was it was a new angle on some fairly familiar material that didn't that made the material seem uh uh more interesting and and different and it it it, it you still get that sort of moment where archer i mean honestly what you get is <clears throat> archer kind of pushing ba- pushing back against the prime directive um as opposed to being the the starfleet guy who's like this is why this is important yep uh but that that they're not like smacking you over the head with it for the whole episode this idea that maybe the prime directive isn't the way to go um it's all in the subtext and it's all in the in the uh uh in the underneath the action of actually what's happening yeah but it only gets voiced in that one scene I would say that the to to someone like to Star Trek fans, I think that I guess I would push back on that a little and say that the the Organians, which are this non corporeal life form that are a TOS reference, if you're unaware, um, I did not know that. Yeah, are fairly explicitly uh version like versions of the prime directive that we're familiar with which is interesting so mm-hmm. just to get it out of the way this is probably the best episode of enterprise that i've seen so far i think um yeah it's great really good i thought that this was we'll get to the ratings later but this was something that i always complained about the show is that the show rarely has a point of view about anything mm-hmm. and i thought that this one 
in its swan song fourth season, decided that we're going to attack the traditional TNG version of what the Prime Directive is, which is that the Organians actually represent what Picard and them would do early on. It's a kind right, of non-interference right. thing. You just There are literally episodes of TNG where the crew is like just observing aliens down there, and they're not going to break first contact because they're not warp capable or whatever. And there's a lot of immoral TNG episodes where a civilization is about to get destroyed by a comet or a sickness, and the crew's like, well, we can't do anything for them because fuck them. Like, they don't have warp drive. They're not important enough to live. And the Organians are of that opinion starting this off. They have that kind of like, don't Mm -hmm. interfere with anybody because we are superior to them. And if our superiority influences them in any way, it's only going to be a bad time. And I thought Enterprise did a fairly brave thing here by challenging that idea that that's a good thing. And yeah, you can you probably get into canon problems about like why Archer would feel that way. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but I thought it was on the Enterprise's way out, it's a good way to take an idea from a previous Trek show that never really made sense and make a good episode around it that actually challenges it in a very DS9 kind of way. Um, yeah. I don't think it gets deep as DS9 ever would because I don't think Enterprise is willing to do that, but I was surprised by how antagonistic it was towards Trek ideals in a, in a lot of different ways. Well, I think what's interesting about it is, <clears throat> despite it being a prime directive pushback, the actual situation is not really a one-to-one prime directive situation because sure. the prime directive is is generally not interacting with a pre-warp culture and in, in influencing stuff that's going to happen naturally. Uh, this is basically actively um allowing them to allowing these these different species to walk into a a trap that well it's not a trap but it's basically like the a bad situation uh, what are they called the what's the uh, what's the arganians the arganians (coughs) notice that the that the arganians know that there's no elevator behind the elevator doors and they just sit there and watch as different cultures open the doors and take a step and fall down the elevator shaft. Yeah. Which I would argue is not exactly the same thing. And I think that's where you get a little bit of that wiggle room where in this situation you could argue that there's a difference between doing something that will damage a culture and doing something that and, and taking a step that can just actively prevent harm. Which is what they do at the end of this episode, where they put up a I don't know a road cone or whatever. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> that being said, I do think what the Arganians are doing is a more abstract version of the Prime Directive because they're not what they're doing is they're hi <laughs> Pliskin they are uh, trying to. Like the whole reason they're there is to gauge the response of how these how these different cultures are going to react. So, in essence, messing with that breaks the the uh, uh, experiment they're doing. Um, but it is similar to the the classic prime directive 
in in intent, I guess, but not it, what they're doing is a is a is a few more levels removed from uh, uh, what we're used to. So it's different, but it is also the same. So I, I don't know if any of that made sense, but yeah, well, because there are. Like for instance, I don't, I don't need you to remember specifics, but there are there's there's episodes of TNG where <clears throat> it's made clear that the uh, Star Starfleet has um, like observational groups on pre war planets, and they kind of blend well, in and in, they hide themselves and stuff like that, and they watch in, the natives. Yeah, insurrection. That's the whole plot of the movie, right? Basically, yeah, right? yeah. Insurrection is a good example. Yeah. The who watches the watches and stuff. So. Right. In my in my mind it matches because I can't see anybody in those situations if a alien native is about to walk off a cliff, the Starfleet sure, people are not sure. gonna say like, Hey, don't go don't go down that way. They'll just kinda watch him fall off the cliff. Um Right, right. So I, I think it's fairly similar in that the <clears throat> what Archer is challenging here is the immorality of not doing something because you think that it'll have a bad effect by sheer by the sheer fact that you're interacting with somebody. So it's a yeah, yeah. it's a pushback on the idea that the worst thing you can do is tell somebody that you're out there and that you're more advanced than they are. Um, mm-hmm. But it, at the same time, the, the difference though ultimately is you could. In in the uh, in the TNG approach of they wouldn't stop somebody from walking off a cliff. What they could do is put up a sign when nobody's there that says, "Hey, watch out! There's a cliff here." Yes. you know what I mean. Yeah. So, yeah, but yeah. but I but I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I could see that. I wonder if they would do that. It's a good example. Um, yeah, it's a good question. <clears throat> the the Organians don't do that, and they have a. In my mind, they have they have the two of them that have kind of a like the pro and con argument of that kind of action, mm-hmm. which is what's defined by the the two uh, Organians in this, where they both kind of disagree about whether or not that's the appropriate thing to do. I, I just thought that it's it's rare for the show to really have any kind of point of view about something that I would consider to be something that actually matters. And I was struck by that here. Sure. That this, this feels like a, even, even if I think there's a flaw that they, they wait a very long time to do it. I don't, I don't think it's a problem because I think that it, otherwise it would ruin the whole observer effect thing that they, if that once they start knowing what's going on, it kind of ruins what they have to say. But I thought that right. in general for enterprise, I thought it did a really good epi- uh, job of building the case against them and showing the crew reacting well. Like I, I like Archer's whole uh, sequence at the end where he like takes off his glove because he's like, we need a doctor, damn it. Like I, you can't get infected, mm-hmm. so I'll do all the shit. And then it failing and not working. I thought that that was like a, a nice um, build and release of all that kind of stuff. And then just yeah. getting into the end where Archer yells at them about like, what the right thing to do is. And apparently it convinces them that the, what they've been doing is the wrong thing to do because they let them live and then they put up the little buoy or boy or however you want to say. And um, I don't know. It just, <laughs> in a way where Enterprise would usually have Archer punch the non, like punch trip and the corporeal being would fly out of his ear or something <laughs> like that. And they'd be like, all right, this is the Enterprise. Like Dr. Strange. I, there was there was something charming in the archers just talking, thinking that he's doomed at that point. You know, he's like, right, I can't yeah, change anything. Yeah. It's just like you guys are being real dicks about this whole situation, 
and then they fix it for him. And also because yeah. they can't remember who the Organians are, they do the mind wipe, but it doesn't feel like a total reset button to me. It feels like it's like, well, this has been established as their power, that this is how they get around doing things, which um, if you want to talk about that, my, my one thing is what exactly do the people who get taken think? I guess they just implant memories about what they've been doing yeah. that whole time, but it, it, that was a little bit, a little bit odd, but I just, I, I liked it. I maybe, thought it was maybe clever. It's- Maybe it's a quantum leap situation where they go to the Arganian homeworld for a yeah, while they're in and a, hang out inside they're the in a test tube. squid monster or something. <laughs> for yeah. 45 minutes. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> My big question is, uh, I, I was surprised that Flox wasn't like, Hoshi, we might need to run some tests on you because I'm pretty sure that you were clinically dead for yep. 15 to 20 minutes. So. <laughs> long, long time. Couldn't get to you. Yeah, she she was dead for a while before she came back. Um so yeah, I that was that was interesting that they could just they have the abilities to apparently bring the dead back to life, but yeah. I guess they are that far ahead of everybody. But um minor nitpick. Yeah. Linda Park. Yep. Consistently through the series very bad at playing possessed by aliens. Uh she, <laughs> she's she was bad in extinction. She's bad here, I think in and almost bad enough where I feel her acting significantly undermines the final scene with Archer because I don't think she's effective as that mean Organian mm-hmm. character. I think that that person has to be mm-hmm. like sort of more intimidating and cruel about things, and she doesn't come across yeah. that way. I thought, I thought Connor Trenier was great. He's great. I he's, he was he, really yeah, good in that he's scene. Good. Yeah. yeah, he's consistently probably the best actor in the show. I would have switched the roles. I would have had him be the by the books Organian and had Linda Park be the nicer one the one that like wants to help wants to fix things for them yeah 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 uh but yeah she yeah the other i I can't tell if it's an acting thing too the the only moment that really struck me as kind of a weird scene was when she breaks out of the quarantine by breaking the security protocols or whatever yeah i I was like is she possessed like i thought that the organians had possessed her because they were like we need to infect the rest of the ship to see how things are going to happen oh yeah no i think it was just she was she had a fever it was just like a she was getting feverish and and insane yeah i yeah it didn't it didn't it didn't really sell for me what did you think yeah it also didn't it didn't amount to anything because like they yeah they had to widen the quarantine zone or anything but it didn't really raise the stakes at all all the i i would say that scene is probably there just to have the scene where they forcibly have to knock them out yeah it's it's to to give them drugs yeah with sonambucil or something like that, that which yeah. sounds like sounds like the uh, the drug from Freddy versus Jason that they use, which is hypno hypnocil, I think, to, to sup- the dream suppressant. <clears throat> um, but yeah, it didn't really amount to anything. Like nobody else got infected. It was just really there to knock them out. I did think that the scene where they get possessed and sit up and start talking is and, good, and uh, I thought that was great. Yep. Yeah, and, and flocks seeing it on the video i thought that was very good um yeah the the idea that they can wipe your memory was really interesting because i didn't realize that these the arganians were were a a race that had appeared before so i didn't know that they had established powers at the time i thought it was a bit of a you know story kind of cheat um not not necessarily cheat but let's just put it this way when it got to the point where hoshi and trip had both died yeah i was legitimately wondering how they were going to get out of this and apparently the answer is 
off screen they get out of it. Yep. Um, but what I found interesting about their powers and how they could wipe your memory was it did it allowed for these interesting conversations that didn't ultimately change the course of anything. So you get that interesting scene with Flocks where Flocks figures out what's going on and pushes back and he's like, I this isn't gonna you're not even gonna I'm not even gonna remember this, am I? And it, and so and then later on the scene with Archer was interesting. Um so yeah, it it is an interesting uh uh power to to employ where you get to have these dramatic scenes with these characters that are almost almost like asides from yeah. the main plot. Yeah. It's I mean it <coughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. What's nice is that because their power plays into the plot the entire time, it doesn't just seem as an obvious reset button power that they then use at the yeah. end to reset everything. And what it does is it's a neat power for them to have as they're in their role as observers because if their experiment starts to go awry, they can course correct on it and just be like, no, you weren't supposed to see this. Like, we'll, we'll just fix everything. Because... Mm-hmm. <clears throat> If they don't have that, the moment Flox realizes something is up, the episode crumbles and they they can't do anything right. about it because yeah. the Organians have said that that's their whole uh, purpose. Well, it also I I was expecting so as I was watching it, I kept thinking, all right, when is this going to turn into an Enterprise episode? And I thought in that the bad way. I'm assuming mo- that's what that means. Yes, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> if not bad, but just like you know, predictable the. the yeah, the more predictable way that this show tends to go a lot of times. And I thought, okay, here we go. Once Phlox figured out, once he saw the aliens, I thought, okay, here we go. This is going to be now Phlox talks to Archer, tells Archer what's going on. Now they start trying to figure stuff out without the Arganians realizing that they know and you know what that turns into. I mean, I'm not saying that would have been bad, but that would have been the more traditional way for this show to go yeah but yeah. the great thing they do is they have that bit where Flox goes to the door and archer comes in and he and tapal are now possessed yeah yeah and just cut he doesn't that, realize cut it that at off first. at the knees yeah 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 well, it's, Flox, a, it's a little kind of i don't know if you've ever seen yeah i don't know if you've ever seen funny games have you ever seen funny games yeah the original uh, or the, but i've seen the original and yeah, the remake either actually. It's the same yeah. movie yeah, yeah. It ha- it has a little bit of that feeling to it where it's like, okay, now you can see the path out, boom, path out's gone, and you're back right. to where you were before, and now you have to figure out a new way to get out if there is one. Yeah. And so I th- I think it worked well in that sense where I legitimately wasn't sure how they were gonna get out of it. Um but you can still have these, like I said, you can still have these scenes where the characters know things and move forward, but you're still kind of pulling them back as far as their uh, progress to solving the problem in a way that doesn't feel like a total cheat. Yeah, it's nice because it's um, it's actually a really good way to have memory wipe stuff, but actually still have character, uh, dem- I wouldn't say growth, but character demonstrations. Like Phlox ex- exposes mm-hmm. his hand as a doctor who cares about his patients and intelligence realizes that what's going to happen to him, like where all the roads are going to lead. Uh, Archer, as we mentioned at the very end, gets to spill his soul about what he thinks these Organians are doing, even though he thinks he's doomed, and then they'll be able to reset it. So it's a nice, it's a nice way to, 
I thought the episode actually did really good character work, even in terms of just between the Organians, I thought was pretty good. It's not really Trip and Reed, yeah. but, or yeah. uh, it's not Mayweather and Reed, but you get a good sense of who those two characters are supposed to be against each other. The only... Mm. <coughs> excuse me. The only thing where I think it falls apart is there is a, a semi-significant chunk of this episode that is Trip talking to Hoshi. And I don't think it's yes. very good because I don't understand why they're now dumping the, all these facts about Hoshi on us. It's almost like the Bible has yeah, like not been yeah. completely written into every episode. So they're like, oh, she's a black belt in judo. We got to get that into an episode somehow. So we'll have her talk about that. She talks about how she black belt, ki- Black belt in Aikido, which Aikido. is... Pro- probably the lamest black belt you could be. No offense to Aikido people, but <laughs> no offense come on. To and she talks about how she got kicked out of whatever the proto Starfleet Academy is because they don't have Starfleet Academy, I guess, at this right, point. Right, right, right. Yeah. What'd you think about all that stuff? I've been trying to think all day about how, if that ties in because it seems to me like it's yeah. the weakest link in an episode that's otherwise pretty consistently well executed across the board. Well, I would say that's probably the most cliche scene in the episode, really, because that's you have that kind of episode in these. Sorry, you have that kind of scene in these types of episodes all the time. You got two people isolated. It looks like they're not going to get out. One of them starts telling a story about their past that the other one didn't know. And they go, wow, I never knew that about you. And it's like, yes, the story I just told is some sort of insight into my character that none of you knew up to this point. Right. However, you don't, yeah, you don't really get that because Trip and Hoshi are not the leads of the episode. So nothing that you learn in that scene plays into anything that they do for the rest of the episode because they essentially just die. Right. (laughs) Yeah. There's not, I mean, I guess maybe you could say that it's, a, a precursor to her losing her mind and breaking out of the cell, but that might be after. I can't remember exactly when that happens. I, I'm assuming that be, happens before because she seems pretty. Yeah, because they it get does, knocked out after it. she escapes. Yeah. So maybe like the argument is, well, she's establishing that she has a uh, rebellious streak in her that's going to get amplified when she gets gets feverish. But like, why do you really need to establish that? No, it seems kind of like a waste of time. I don't know. I thought they did it just for the moment where when she breaks out of quarantine and Trip tries to stop her, she like grabs him and does some martial arts against the wall to him, you know, and I thought they were like, are they trying to just explain why she can overpower him like that? Yeah, that's a long way to go for ham sandwich, as we like to say in the show. It is. And it's just a funny decision because I'd be totally fine with those two just being stuck in there and not really spending any time with them outside of knowing that they're stuck in there and they're sick and that the, the they, they can't get out because they'll infect everybody. Because I think that everything else, those two are in there only to function as the thing that the Organians can observe how everyone else is reacting to them being stuck in there. So I really mm-hmm. like this thing that I don't think they do it all that often where the characters are watching Trip and Hoshi on a like a live feed. You know, like they are observing them as they're being observed by the Organians. And it's this very, it's this very layered story. I just don't, I don't understand why you have to develop any kind of 
camaraderie with Trip and Hoshi in this sequence because all they need to do is exist in there by being sick. And if you spend time with Archer to Paul, there's even a there's even a great moment, like the best Trip and to Paul moment, I think. And this is when Trip when to Paul is like is is Commander Tucker in there, and Archer's like, if he wakes up, I'll tell him that you want to talk to him because Archer clearly understands what's going on at that point. And I would have just been happy to spend time with Phlox, Archer, Paul, everyone else who's outside, and the two Organians who are watching this whole thing kind of break apart. I just thought it was strange. I didn't, I didn't know why they needed to talk to each other all that, all that much while they're in the blue room. Yeah, I don't know. I, I assume it was just a humanizing scene. Because, <clears throat> um, like, the, the only the information you're really getting out of that scene is that uh Hoshi only only ended up on Enterprise because she uh because Starfleet needed needed people for her job and she was really good at it even though she got kicked out. Yeah. And then Archer, She's like a suicide squad member. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't and it doesn't really add much. Um <coughs> and, and there's there's an undercurrent of that not just in that scene but in the rest of the scenes between them where it's trip it's it's trip it's another one of those it's another one of those things where it's like if they if in the first scene right yep where they the two of them are in the the uh shuttlecraft if they had established some sort of and maybe they did and I'm forgetting if they had established some sort of thing where trip was like underestimating hoshi in some way or doesn't understand why she would want to do X and, and like expressly shows that he doesn't really know anything about her. Then those scenes make more sense because the undercurrent of those scenes is Hoshi backstory and trip being like, Oh wow, you're a, you're really good at this. You're a genius, right? You're not just good at languages. You are a genius. And since there's no narrative starting point for that, all of those elements just seem like they're there for the sake of, I don't know, giving them something to do, I guess. Yeah, I mean, not not that they should rewrite this, but I, I think that there's, there's a storyline there that's probably too big for what this is trying to do, where <clears throat> I feel like thematically what you would tie that into is that they're a pair of characters who one of them knows something about the other one that the other one doesn't know. And it more mirrors this observation aspect where it's like you're, you're kind of learning mm. something about this person through this observation period, which is more of an interaction between them in that way. You know? Yeah, I guess that is kind of what they're doing, isn't it? Because, I mean, that is what's happening is Trip is observing Hoshi and it's just not, learning stuff about Hoshi. But, it, yeah, it doesn't it's just have not relevant weight to it. Yeah, there, there's, right. no, yeah. there's no... If, 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 I think it's a perfect example. It's the perfect time for a serialized story. Not the show is not have mm. a story. I don't think that's running at this time that would fit there. But if there was, if there was some two characters who were at odds with each other and they were stuck in this situation, and this became the moment that they like sort of saw eye to eye for a moment, I think that that right. thematically works. It just right. the, the show doesn't have a plot line or characters who can fit in that time. So again. Just to belabor the point, my only criticism is that I don't think you need to spend any time with these two because the plot that's important is kind of outside of that, and they're just the MacGuffin that's driving sure. the other characters to care and to act and have the Organians look at them. Yeah, and if you cut that stuff, there would be time at the end 
for a scene that I wish was in it, which is after the Arganians, they have that final shot of uh, Travis and Reed walking down the hallway, and they're like, well, we only have 5,000 years before we run into them again or something. I wish they had had the moment where the Arganians leave, and then Malcolm looks at Travis and says, Travis, why are we hanging out together? (laughs) We never hang out together. (coughs) Ensign. Some you get back. That's the that's the thing. Once they leave, I, I, yeah, it's just. I, I guess they do explain it as just the Organians implant memories into people, and you just kind of wake up and you're like, oh, I guess I've been standing here. I just remember standing here for the past two hours, so were, that's, that's fine. Were you surprised that they didn't give the humans the secret to uh, uh, curing the disease after they wiped their minds at the end because it seemed kind of that was the one thing that felt weird to me was <clears throat> off screen they kind of snapped their fingers and the next thing is Archer going like I don't know what happened but everybody yeah. seems to be fine and then Phlox go looks and he goes yeah I just uh, I don't know uh, maybe maybe there's a radiation leak <laughs> and that- we all got good radiation <laughs> It's a it's a tough act. It's an act that I gave them. It's just long lasting effects yeah. that'll just take forever. I'm sure. I'm sure the people back in, at Starfleet headquarters will figure it out when we send them back the samples of this virus. There is no known cure for. Yeah, it is. It is probably something that the the higher ups reading the report are going to get to the end and say, "What What did you do? How did How did you fix the yeah. problem? Like, <laughs> did, apparently, just Jesus came over and resurrected people, and that was the end of it. But yeah. it is true. I, uh, I didn't think about Captain, that. Captain, what I'm taking away from this is uh, I think you might have some sort of a serious coolant leak or something wherever the radiation from that CAT scan machine is, is emanating from because that's the only reason I can see it, why this worked. That's, there's no, no other explanation. No invisible aliens were found. No invisible aliens were seen. So <laughs> this will be tough because... Um, you are... Uh, it's like uh, be- in, during the... Sorry, I was just going to say, it's like during the Black Plague, when yep. everybody was trying to figure out the different ways that, well, things that might solve the Black Plague because they didn't know what germs were and stuff. Yeah. Um, one of one of the things that, I can't remember the exact reason that they got to this point, but they thought that the fumes from latrines would actually prevent you from getting the plague. So you had people essentially standing over the shit piles in bathrooms and on the streets and just yeah. like wafting it in Breathe it. and breathing deep the piss and shit that were on the streets <laughs> of London at the time, assuming that that was going to be the thing that drove them away. Oh, I believe it was because, uh, <clears throat> sorry, this is a bit of a tangent. I believe it was because they noticed that um, p- latrine workers and butchers were not contracting the plague as 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 quickly or as frequently as regular other non, people were non people yeah 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 and what it actually was is that uh they so the people the people at the time thought it was the fumes from the shit or the rotting meat that was yep. that was repelling the 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 plague but what it actually was is that latrine workers and butchers actually washed their hands more than normal oh, people sure. did yeah and so they were not even realizing it actually had better hygiene for this pr- particular thing than the normal people did. So they ended up not getting it as frequently. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that makes sense. But everybody else knows deep in pig entrails and your sister and neighbor's shit. It must have, 
Because there's the, um, I don't know if it's the in- discover of infectious bacteria or something, but there was a, the doctor that sort of um, brought about hand washing as a practice, just started doing it as a way to test. And his like, um, his surgery success rate in that the patient doesn't die because of the surgery, like it went from like 10% success to like 95 or something. Like it was just like, he, he just, yeah. it was just such a remarkable change. You, you wonder what they, you wonder what people at the time would have well, thought about because it doesn't they, make any sense if you can't see germs. Didn't they also, isn't that one of those stories where like the guy who suggested that they thought was insane, even yeah. though he had the data to back it up? I don't and think they, they took like, him seriously. Him or something? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, think, I think if I'm remembering, I think he was a disagreeable person. And so it's the kind of thing about like the politics <laughs> of science that they didn't really like the guy. So they weren't going weren't gonna to buy into yeah. it. I think. I don't know if this is just a meme creation, but I think the end of that story might be he ended up being put away in like an asylum because they thought he was nuts. Yeah. But I, Good. I'll have to, I'd have to look that up. Um, so this will be, we can wrap it up with uh, the Organians. It'll be tough because you're unfamiliar with them. Uh, they appear in an episode called Errand of Mercy in TOS, which is the Klingons and the Earthlings are fighting each other and they end up on this planet that they're trying to um, protect from each other. So the Klingons are trying to protect her from the Federation and the Federation is trying to protect her from the Klingons. They think that they're this ancient race of very simple people. It turns out that the uh, Organians or Organians are the beings that they are here. So they kind of are these non-corporeal things that can just appear in human bodies and make people think that they're there. But their ethos in that one is that they are trying to prevent any kind of hostilities between the Klingons and the humans, but they have to act as if they're just normal, simple people. So they t- they're oh, like, Kirk is getting very upset that they're not taking it very seriously, how the Klingons are going to kill them all. And like, why don't you guys do anything? Like, why won't you leave? And they don't want to see any kind of violence between them. And then eventually it's revealed at the very end that they are all powerful beings who could basically just disappear or just cause the Klingons and the humans to go away uh, and, and defend themselves. But, I think what's is all this is all a very long way of saying this is an example of a situation where I think that the continuity connection actually weakens things here and I would not have mm-hmm. made these a connection to a TOS episode at all um I understand the novelty of doing that I think you could just make up an alien race and this would be a better example of it. So what will happen here is that my description wasn't very good and I'm also, my voice is killing me so I can't really get into it. But the the problem here I think is that the point of view that they have in this episode is completely the opposite of what they have in the TOS episode. So this is seen as some sort of like spark that will change their society about how they go about doing things. And for a species that has existed for so long, it's the Vulcan problem of apparently they just change overnight into a different kind of thing and they're like have a different, completely different outlook on what they're supposed to be doing and everything like that. I just don't think it's necessary. And I think people sort of overvalue the canon connection there. Sure. And and what's also interesting is that not knowing the connection to TOS didn't impact the story for you, which I think is good and which I think that it should be the point of all these continuity connections. I just think it's it's the only case this season where I felt like I wouldn't have 
I wouldn't have made that connection. I don't mind the transporter inventor. I don't mind like the Vulcan stuff. I don't mind trying to do the Soong augment arc. Like that all felt fine. This one felt like, eh, you went a little bit too far. I didn't need to have this be a reference. You could have just made this up and just make it be its, its own little thing. Yeah, I. Yeah, it's a tough call because I think what they got out of this was was so good that if they had, like, I guess your options are you either use these characters or this race and do something good with their capabilities, regardless of the connections and whether or not it makes sense. Yeah. Or if you're telling the story, you come up with something that is similar to the point where people are like, well, why didn't they just use the Arganians? Yes. Um. So yeah, I don't know. I I I I, pro- I agree with what you're saying in principle. I think, but on I don't know if. Uh, and ha- know. Yeah, having I, not I, seen TOS, it's hard for you to comment on it. Yeah, but, yeah. <coughs> I think it's just. Um, also, it's not like I'm assuming the Arganians don't show up after that TOS episode, do they? No, I don't think so. I think that's the only time yeah. that they show up. It, oh, it's, so I mean. On the on the list of continuity that might be immovable, that's probably not too high on the list. That's true, um, but I do understand what you're saying. I, I I think it's what would it be? I think you just don't. What would it be? I I, I guess you just don't gain. I don't think it's a net positive by making a connection there, I suppose. Sure, I think sure, it's just yeah. it's it's another thing of like the universe is too small. It's another example of you get you're backing yourself into this cute little corner where all of the species that you're never supposed to have interacted with, like the Ferengi in season one, mm. like they never see them. And you always have to end the episode going like, Yeah, you never they don't remember. <laughs> anything that happened there here this works a little bit better than the frangie one i think um because the frangie would have probably left dna and stuff like that laying around right right yeah but right it's built into the themes of this episode that there is a mind erasure aspect to it i just i think it's another example of like yeah they're not going to remember and this is enterprise is in this weird position where they can't really remember any of these people that they're meeting because we're going to meet them later for the first time yeah, and it's funny because it does. It does. This one does give you excuse to make a, a few other callouts. Like they meant they mentioned the Cardassians by name. Um, yes. So this is the first the, canon reference of the Cardassians. Oh well, yeah. Well, but too bad nobody was there to hear it. Yeah. Because uh, it's the Arganians, and they do it. You know, while they're just hanging out talking shit or whatever. Yep. So nobody, it doesn't impact anything. But for a fan, you're like, ooh, I know that. Um. Yeah, I, I I know what you mean. Yeah, I it's it is strange. It does get so frustrating with these canon things where you have to keep doing all this backflipping to figure out how it doesn't break anything. Um, and it's like I like the, but this one does make more sense because the memory thing is part of their established yeah. power set so this is the like, least yeah, defensive sure. version of yeah. how you get around that like the and even here <clears throat> even here though if you did want to make if you did want to take use these characters without drawing that direct line to invite the uh um point of view uh dissonance just don't use their name like yeah. you, you could if you don't say arganians there's enough there that i mean the thing still works it's yes because like them saying, Reed and Mayweather could say it to each other. Just don't say it to Archer. 
Sure. Yeah. Well. Well. I. I mean. Are. I guess that that problem still exists, though. Then doesn't it? Because you're you're saying that in the TOS episode, the point of view of the Arganians is very different than their point of view here. So they will they will interfere freely in what people are doing right. in the TOS episode. Right. So so the the problem you're having is inherently that they are they have changed too quickly, right? Yes, based on seemingly this one experiment. Yeah. Yeah. So saying their name at all, I think still puts that on the table because regardless of who oh, hears sure. the name because in this one even if they do say it to Archer, he doesn't remember the name anyway. Right. Yeah. But uh but if you use the the powers and everything and you just don't say the name out loud, then you can have kind of have your cake and eat it too where it's like, well, these they don't act like the Arganians act in Errand of Mercy. Well, it's because it wasn't the Arganians. Right. Or is this the Arganians? I love it. It's like, yeah, it's supposed to be the Arganians. You know, right. it, you can kind of right. go either way with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, I guess that's it. Or you can just have Starfleet <coughs> discover this race, uh, completely uh, get all they can out of it in a very documented fashion, and then have three people agree never to talk about it again at the end of the season. <laughs> <laughs> at least it's in a similar vein I think my um, the good example of this series going to odd lengths to protect continuity is the first time that they ran into the Romulans the Romulans are like we just use voice chat we don't use video like literally oh, everybody else around here we just we talk over the phone we don't we don't have Skype video at this point mm-hmm. it's that kind of stuff it's a little bit silly. Um, I'm not going to read the patron list because my voice is killing me. You know who you are. I'll we try to get. Thank you for your service. Thank you very much. I apologize for my voice today. This is just. It's what you don't. Um, you don't realize how bad a cold is until you have to talk. Really, is one of yeah. those things. Like I feel. Yeah. I feel relatively okay all day. I'm sick, but it's like I'm like I'll be able to do a podcast, and then they get here. I'm like I can't talk. So I apologize to everyone watching the video because I've been blowing my nose in the background constantly. But what would what would stuff. be amazing? What would be amazing if you had said, "I'm not going to read the names." I apologize to everyone. I'd like to apologize to Yarpy, Nick Surge, <laughs> and just read the list. All the people I'd like to apologize also happen to be our best tier supporters on Patreon. <laughs> Patreon.com/slash the Penske File is the place to support the show if you're so interested. Um, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit, well, we'll read the comments first, then we'll go from there. So if I start dying, do you have Discord up? I'll copy paste one of these into your Discord yeah. and you can read it for yeah, me. Yeah, throw, throw them all over. I'll read them if you want. Uh, okay, I'll read, I'll do this one for you. So let's see, we'll do this quickly. As you're, do, as you're reading them, I'll send more and that'll go quickly. So this is sure. Thomas Darnell has this comment, if you can read that one. This is one of the trekkiest episodes the series ever did. I like invoking the Orga... Oh, it's Organians with an O. I thought it was an A. I like invoking the Organians. I like the humans as lab rats theme. I like running tally of how most races fail the test. And doesn't it skew the results to have a non-human doctor? The solution is weird, but very enterprise. The Organians do something they've never done because, I don't know, Archer prayed really hard. It was in the script. Five out of five. Next comment is Matt Ross says, So far, the most Star Trek story of the entire fourth season, if not more than anything from the third season. 
The use of the Organians were an interesting nostalgia callback, and the use of Reed and Mayweather was well done as alien observers, and I thought well acted by Keating and Montgomery. No explosions, no phasers, no fists of flying archer, thinking and talking. What a concept. New Trek should take note. Aside from that, I want to know, where was Hoshi's Aikido skills previously? Five real Trek moments out of five. She doesn't really have many opportunities to use Aikido on a day-to-day basis, you know, de- deciphering languages from the bridge. So, Give her another skill. I, I couldn't identify Aikido, I don't think. I could ident- maybe some Aikido, other... Aikido is the martial art that uh, um, Steven Seagal does. Okay. And... Um, so it's like squinting at people? It's, yeah. It's squinting at people and, you know, using their energy against them, sure. quote-unquote. Yeah. Uh, it looks really cool, but I don't think there is... I again. I apologize if there if we have listeners who are diehard Aikido people, please tell me I'm wrong. But my impression is that it is not an, a martial art that is necessarily Real, practical. Sure, yes. yeah, practical. It won't win any MMA fights with an Aikido. No, expert. no, it very much will not. And I have seen documented evidence that it will not. <laughs> That's. I was watching a video of those. Is the Aikido? Is that the one that's purely based on just like uh, like energy stuff? Like the practitioners are just kind of like waving their hands around and then the MMA fighter comes up and like punches them in the face and they, they fall of, down? Yeah. Okay. The, the, the more general concept is it's a lot of like, you know, small movements stuff sure. that just, you know, so if guys come at you, they throw a punch and you just kind of like grab their wrist and kind of like gotcha. do the right motion and they go flying across the room or whatever. Right. So you should see, like you a, should look up some Steven Seagal Aikido videos. They are hilarious. It's like a supernatural judo, basically. It's like just kind it's of, judo, yeah. but at, at a higher level. All right. Did you finish Matt Ross's comment? I think you did. I did, yes. Here comes yes. the next one. It's Kyle Barrett's epic paragraph. Man, you know, you you say five sentences and then people he's, all of a sudden he's, learn how to use comments. I mean commas. He's he's busted uh, out the uh, semicolons. It's unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> I've enjoyed Hoshi's arc, if it's substantial enough to call it that, of her of her at first being nervous of the interstellar adventure before gaining confidence and coming into her own. So this revealed that she's always been an arm-breaking illegal poker game. I forgot about the poker game. Illegal poker game creating badass has never sat right with me. The second bottle episode in a row, sorry, the second bottle episode in a row, Observer Effect proves why monetary constraints can aid in inventiveness. And this is maybe the Star Trekiest episode of Star Trek that ever Star Trek. That's like the third person who said that exact same thing. Yeah, it's a meme. I, I don't think the aliens being Organians add, adds much, but this is a back to basics classic that fits the prequel nature of Enterprise perfectly. I also enjoy the meta angle of the episode that we, the viewer, are like the Organians watching something we've seen many times before, but also something dying with the show's cancellation imminent. And the ep- this episode being the one to make us feel sad about it. At, after his worst ever performance last episode, I think Bakula is fantastic here. And the final 15 minutes gives us one of the very best displays of both the getting their hands dirty and moralizing aspects of captaincy in the entire franchise. Five out of five. I agree. I like I did, um, Bakula in this episode. I think this is a good archer. Yeah. Without without being a focus on him, I think that he's pretty effective. I think his, his actions speak louder than his words in this one. 
Yeah, and he doesn't really have that much to do. No. But, and I, I, I don't mean that in a negative way. I mean, like, he doesn't have a ton of lines, but the stuff that he does is pretty effective, I think. Yeah. I do like, the one thing that I do like about this episode is they do kind of drift into a bit of uh, the Grinch who stole Christmas territory, where once he pulls off his gloves and stuff, the one more negative Organian is is basically doing that thing where he's like, they sing without baubles. Yeah. They sing without toys, you know? Can't can't believe that they're still celebrating with no toys. Nope. All the who, all the who's on the Enterprise are just still singing their songs. <laughs> I can read the short one. It's next. Uh, Latte Librarian says, Observer Effect, one of the best cold opens that Enterprise has ever done. Three out of five. Breaks the streak of five out of five. So three out of five. Groppler John Zorn has the next one. And he says, you'll have to read it. It's a little bit longer. Stuff I like about Observer uh, Effect. Uh-huh. The stuff I like about the Observer Effect. One, it reimagines prior world building. Very different. Or Oh, he did a numbered thing? That's cheating. Maybe it's not five sentences. I don't know. But it feels like cheating to me. It reimagines prior world building. Very different Organians and very different Klingons were introduced in the TOS episode, Errand of Mercy. Instead of, is it is that the first Klingon episode, Errands of Mercy? Yes. Oh, yep. interesting. Yeah. Instead of making up some new race of energy beings we've never heard of again, they took the opportunity to develop one that's been waiting to be noticed since 1968. This is the same kind of canon reference that I adore in Lower Decks and stokes my contempt further for the brainless, oh look, there's a triple on the counter style of curtsy JJ Trek. It takes us two. It takes a solid position on something. In this case, the Prime Directive, and preaches using and preaches using story and character rather than well preaching. Three. It does the small stories that Enterprise has always done well. There are plenty of them. Everybody gets lines, and I like every character better than I did at the start of the episode. Five out of five, and a wish that we'd seen more of this kind of story way sooner in Enterprise's run. I agree with this second and third points. I I. Before we got to these comments, I had been talking about how I don't need them to be the Organians uh, in this, yeah. so I would disagree with his first one. But I do like his second points. It is um, maybe it's it's almost startling when when like Hoshi is talking for longer than five seconds. You're like, what the hell is going on in this show? Like, right. This is yeah. not what what should happen. But everyone here, even though Mayweather and Reed are not themselves, uh, the whole cast gets a chance to do something, which is extremely unusual in this show. Interestingly. Yeah, Mayweather does more in this episode than he's done in five seasons or four seasons, I think. Yeah. yeah. Actually gets to act. Yep. Uh, let's see here. This is Royo says this. The episode Dear Doctor. The episode, the episode Dear Doctor hovers over this episode like the Sword of Damocles. In that episode, Archer denies the innocent and dying Valakians the cure, smugly stating, until somebody tells me, until somebody tells me that they've drafted that directive... I'm going to have to remind myself every day that we didn't come out here to play God. When sick and dying himself, Archer meets Archer meet gods in the form of the Organians, and he delivers the most hypocritical speech in the entire show. You've lost compassion and empathy, things that give life meaning. And if that's what it takes to be advanced, I don't want any part of it. If I ever, th- If ever there was a person who deserved to be given that speech... That person would be Captain Jonathan Archer, and the Valakians should have delivered it to his damn face. Two denied cures out of five. Wow. So this is this is interesting. <clears throat> because to me, what Royo is saying is 
I think it's just a, it's a difference between me and a lot of the listeners, I think, which is that the canon connection here or the hypocrisy between Archer is not that important to me because I think yeah. that what they're trying to do here, I, I think this actually makes more sense in context of what the prime directive should be interpreted as. Like the, this to me feels like the show has its head on its shoulders. Dear Doctor felt more like a TNG episode in how it approached sure. things. And sure. I I don't mind the hypocrisy because almost to me, I can feel like I could say that this is Archer learning something over the course of four seasons. You know, like I, yeah. I feel like it's yeah. a changing character that to me feels appropriate. Again, this runs into canon problems because TNG's ethos is going to become the dominant ideology. You know what I mean? Right. So Archer right, here right, right. seems out on an island and saying the right thing, but I know that down the line and what this universe tells me that the TNG thing actually wins out against him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Next comment. Thank you for that. That was the lowest rating so far, though. Only one. Only one. Yeah. Two out of five. Two out of five. This is the finest, final comment from Brandon Howells. You've, is that a new patron? I don't remember that. No, it's Cardinal that. Doomsday. Just with his oh, real name. Oh, I see. Uh, well, I would have known if you had read the names, but here we are. You've got to give it to Enterprise. <laughs> Let me just die coughing just to prove what's going on here. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you've got to give it you've got to give it to Enterprise for succeeding in being spooky. I think this might be the episode in which Travis has the most lines. It is a pity he's being possessed by an alien at the time. I'm not sure who annoys me more in this episode, the Organians long before their smiling sheep stage in TOS, or the unbearably self righteous archer. Extra love for Hoshi, the mad multilingual, multilingual escape artist, a low radiation four out of five. She's Houdini. Yeah. I think people generally, I mean, Brandon gave it a, a high rating. Uh, he had, a, he had a, a little bit more criticism than that, but um, I guess we talked about it. I like Archer in this one. Um, I guess, I guess we've already talked about it, so we don't need to go to back to it. So thank you patrons for leaving your thoughts about that one. I'll be back to ship shape on the next episode, I would assume. So we'll go, uh, and there'll be more comments because it's the first, the second half of the final season. So there'll be a bunch of new comments to comment on on Patreon. You can all do that. Boy, I'm fading. All right, Clay, here we go. We'll wrap this up. Um, What are you going to give this one on our scale of one to five? I've already said Um, that this is my favorite episode of the show so far. Yeah, I think. Go ahead. No, I I, I think I'll give it a five. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I um, I feel bad because I'm obviously under the weather and I felt like I am going to let down what I think is the best episode of the show so far. I think we got our points across about why um, it is that way and why I think that this episode is unique for Enterprise. Uh, this, I think, is definitely the best episode of the fourth season so far. It's interesting that it's a standalone compared to the arcs that they've been doing, too, mm. at this point. Um. I think there's only one more standalone, and it's the finale, if I'm remembering correctly. Oh, really? Okay. Um, and boy, what a standalone. What a standalone. Actually, technically, technically not a standalone, if you really want to get technical about yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We'll have some connections. I just thought that this was the first time that the show brought everybody on board. They had a whole bunch of stuff going. They have a really unique framing idea about how they're going to take a somewhat predictable or somewhat 
not really novel idea, and they're going to, just by giving you this alien abduction story where the rest of the crew does not realize that people have been abducted or uh, possessed by aliens, adds this unique spin to things. And I also think that the what could have been even, like, so, so it's a stacking thing of interest. They, they do this framing device with the Organians. Then they actually have the Organians have a point of view that is interesting instead of just being generic aliens that possess people and are like, we're going to do whatever the hell we want to do. The Organians are a representation of old Star Trek TNG ideas, which is that you shouldn't Mm -hmm. interfere with things. Enterprise then comments on that by making that ideology the villain of the episode, interestingly, goes about its business has some really effective character moments with Archer, where he doesn't say a lot, as we talked. Trip and Hoshi die. We get some nice scenes with T'Pol about to break down in tears. The one time I think that T- like T'Pol's acting there is appropriate. They have to show mm. something. That's not the time to really sit down and crib, but it's like she right, does. A, right. Blaylock does a good job of sitting there, but looking like she's upset, but not really acting like she's upset, which I think is that the way that the, the Vulcans should be portrayed. Um, I think it all just adds up. And then they wrap it up in a bow where even though they have to hit the reset button because we can't know who these guys are, they do it in a way that thematically ties through the entire episode and has something to say about what they've been observing and what's going on and how they're going to learn things about it. I think this is one of the best episodes of the show, if not my favorite so far. Um, And it's interesting that so many people said it's the Star Trek, Star Trek episode that's ever Star Trek. I think it is, but it also does the DS9 thing of pushing the idea back against it so it's not just a tng clone at this point right it's too bad the show couldn't do this for four goddamn seasons (laughs) but eventually they got here and i'm torn about whether or not this is a five i went and i looked at all the other episodes that we've given fives and i don't know if it gets there for me i honestly as i was thinking about it i i think it's probably a high four for me more than it is a five yeah, because like I, as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, "That didn't feel right." It felt felt a little dirty saying that. I'm going to yeah. give this the highest four possible. This to me is on yeah. par with like second chances from TNG, which I consider to be a very very strong four on our rating system. Yeah. I think this is great. This is not transcendently great in a way that some of the other series ever get, but I think this is really yeah. really good. And if the show had done more episodes like this, I think it would have been in a better space when it was wrapping up. Yeah, I agree. That's it. I'm glad I made it through that without choking. Uh, thank you, patrons. <laughs> Patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to support the show there. The show will be back with Babel 1, I think, is the next episode. I'm pretty sure it's, it's an Andorian storyline. Um, that's it. Thanks for your comments, patrons. Thanks for listening. Thank you for watching on YouTube. I apologize for the sickness again. I'll be better next time. Clay, do you have anything you want to say before we leave? Uh, Badass is done. We have finished Batman the Animated Series and its uh, secondary kind of like B series or continuation, the new Batman Adventures. Um, We are kind of on a break, I assume, at this point still. We'll be doing, we have a wrap-up episode coming. If it hasn't already, I don't think it's probably going to be out by the time this comes out. Uh, And then we'll be doing, I think, the Superman crossover episodes. Yeah, there's only a couple of those, right? Yeah, and I think Mystery of the Batwoman, just for completion's sake. And then we're going to jump into uh, Batman Beyond after that. And, uh, yeah, keep checking out Rotten Horror Picture Show. <clears throat> I don't know where we are in, in, in the grand scheme of things at this point. But in 
December, in November, we will have covered on Patreon Friday the 13th, part 11, I guess you could call it, which is Freddy versus Jason. And uh, in December, we'll be rounding out our year of Friday the 13th with the remake, the 2009 remake of Friday the 13th. And we'll be coming up with something else to do next year for our Patreon uh, stuff. I'm, I think I'm going to we'll come up with a list of, of a few things and have the patrons patrons vote on it. Yeah, that makes sense. If you want to pitch ideas, people have been doing that on the Discord recently. So if you want to pitch ideas about what could be the horror Patreon special for next year, you can do that at the Discord channel. That's also where to <coughs> find me most of the time. Still off social media. Uh, maybe that's why I'm dying. Maybe I'm just withdrawing. Um, I guess that's it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for supporting the show. Thanks for leaving your comments about this episode. It was a good one. And I guess we're done. We'll be back with Babel One. See ya.